Hello, and welcome to the Guardian Test Prep Back to Basic Podcast. My name is Dr. Christopher Seitz. I'm an emergency physician, and I'm here with my brother, Jason Seitz, who is a firefighter, paramedic, and RN. Together, we run Guardian Test Prep, an NREMT test prep company that specializes in helping EMT and paramedic students pass their national registry exam. Our Back to Basics podcast was created to make what are sometimes complex medical topics easy to understand and retain for students of emergency care. Please like and follow us on your favorite podcast streaming service, as well as on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for joining us. So why do ladies only walk in groups of one, three, five, seven, et cetera? I don't know why. Because they can't even. <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> okay. All right. Well, everybody, welcome to Guardian Test Prep Back to Basics podcast. Uh, we're excited to be back this week uh, with another great topic that we will hopefully break down, take back to basics, and you'll leave with so much more understanding, and it'll be amazing for everyone. But before that, some quick announcements. Yes. Quick announcements. CME. If you are interested in CAPSI, CME. What's CAPSI mean? CAPSI means that CME counts anywhere, wherever you're at in the world, pretty much any state. We stamped that CAPSI thing on it. Guess what? You're getting a CME for it. All right. Yeah, that's exactly what it means. And we are excited to announce that we will be shortly in the next couple months here launching a 100% free uh, CAPSI platform, meaning that you can come and listen to our content. We're going to add in content from some other creators that we're excited to announce in the coming weeks. Um, and it is 100% free and you get CAPSI credit and everybody wins. So we are covering the cost yep. of your credits. Exactly. Just log on, take a look. Yep. You're done. Exactly. It's going to be great. Qu- other quick announcement. If you are an EMS educator, if you do do EMS education, if you do cre- content creation, and you'd love to be have your stuff on that kind of platform, please email us, podcast at guardiantestprep.com. Uh, we'd love to talk to you about maybe even adding some of your content to uh, to this new platform. But we need to know if you're interested, and we would like to give you announcements when that's ready and uh, tell you about you know the different ways you can get involved. So if you are interested in that type of thing, guardiancme.com. Go there. It's just a quick page. You're going to put in your first name and your email address. We promise not to spam you, but we want to be able to let you know when uh, when things roll out. So again, guardiancme.com. We're really excited about that. Another big announcement. I think this podcast will get released within the time frame. We will be at EMS Expo in Atlanta from October 4th through the 8th. Uh, if you're also going to be there, we would love to meet you. Come by our booth. We've got lots of sweet, cool prizes and giveaways and things like that. Um, and yeah, we would just we'd love to meet you. So if you're going to be there, Atlanta, October fourth through eighth, Emax Expo, Guardian will be there as well. So yeah, we're excited we'll about that. So today I want to talk about EMS medical direction. Uh, this is something that I'm excited to talk about today. I I operate as an EMS medical director in a couple different capacities, um, and I think that there is a lot of variety in EMS medical directors out there. There's a lot of variety in training and involvement. And I want to talk about what uh, the organizations say an EMS medical director should be and do and the kind of role they should play in the EMS system. And then also talk about maybe how they don't. <laughs> how so, we can improve. We're going to put it this okay, way. How yeah. can we improve? How can we improve? How can we improve EMS medical direction uh, in our EMS systems? I think there's a lot we can do. I think there's a lot of exciting things we can do. Obviously, I have a passion for it because I, I'm involved in a lot of that. Uh, so that's what I want to jump in today. I want to start with kind of saying, kind of opening it up maybe to you, Jason, as a paramedic and myself as a medical director, what do you think are some of the barriers that providers, I mean, the students you talk to, the providers you interact with every day, what are some of the barriers to EMS medical director involvement, um, 
or communication even that, that you see on I think, the field? I think it's lack of communication. I think that's the whole point, right? I think okay. that this field will not advance until we start to learn to have the the EMS providers and the hospital providers have open communication and intermesh better and understand each other better. Half of the reason we do this podcast is to encourage those types of relationships, right? We talk a lot about from Chris's standpoint, a lot of you guys are EMS providers that listen to this. And I ask Chris all the time, from your standpoint, what happens in the hospital then? What happens next year, right? We need to know how his job works so that we can work with him because we are, what, what medical direction means guys is we are operating under someone like his license, right? We're not, we're, we're licensed providers, but we're paraprofessionals. We don't get to practice medicine, right? We practice under protocols, whether they be standing or they be direct orders from a doctor's licensure, right? His, his medical licensure, his or her. And, uh, and that's, what's kind of important. I think we need to remember that like, that means that we need to know the doctors that are telling us to do things and we need to understand why they're telling us to do things. We need to understand what they do. And I think you're going to get into it pretty deep today. You guys need to understand yeah. what we do. And I and think that's a big gap there. There's right? a big disconnect there as well. I mean, and you guys know it, you guys are probably, you could probably guess where this podcast is going in, in, in some certain ways, but like there is a huge gap, uh, in, uh, knowledge on my side as well. I mean, like I, 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 try to be very, I mean, obviously I'm very involved in EMS, EMS education, uh, but there are, a, there's a lot more I can learn. Uh, and there's a lot more, a lot of, and probably most medical directors can learn about their EMS systems and about their paramedics and their EMTs and operations and things like that. And, and we're not doing a good job of it, right? That's okay. There's, that just means there's room to improve and that's exciting. And that's kind of what we want to talk about today. So what I'd like to do is start by Talking a little bit about like I guess the history of of EMS medical direction, it's not complicated. But like when EMS started, I mean EMS is very EMS and emergency medicine are very young fields. Um, you know both were started in like you know around like the seventies, seventies, eighties is when both EMS and emergency medicine became a thing. Even mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't until I think the. 80s that like emergency medicine residencies were even like an option yeah so emergency emergency physicians used to just be off-duty physicians of other things yeah. working shifts in the er Family and it medicine. wasn't it wasn't a very reputable no not not to offend you no but it, it wasn't, wasn't a very reputable position to be in it was hey you work an er shift because you need some extra money and right. you know and, and then it it has then since turned into more of a hey this is a major profession and I think some of that is the culture of medicine has changed quite a bit. Now the ER, as much as we don't like it and we would like to prevent it, the ER is now the gateway to anywhere in the hospital. Yeah. I don't make a doctor's appointment. I mean, I do, but people don't make doctor's appointments with their PCP and then get connected to a they specialist. They should be, and they, they can should be. be. They should be, and they can be. But what's happening is people wait until things get bad. They go to the ER and they say, well, you can hook me up in a day. I don't have to wait a week to get to my PCP, right? right. So now what happens is... You are forced to be, A, an expert in emergency medicine and treating and stabilizing people, right? Mm -hmm. And B, you're forced to also become like a concierge doctor to hook people up with all of the, the right. holistic care that they need from the rest of their lives with, with different specialists. Right, so right. I think what historically, that's kind of the role that ER doctors played a lot. It was just kind of patch you up medicine, do the best they can, and then concierge doctor send them to, send them to a specialist. Right, right. Now with... with 
this increase in demand in the ER is like it's it's an expertise that you need, yeah. and, and it's a whole different animal. Yeah. And, well, and, and and to give an example of how young EMS and emergency medicine is, I, I mean, I'm a very young physician. I'm a very young board certified ER physician. And a, a lot, a good handful of my mentors and my attending physicians when I was in residency had been grandfathered in and never did an EMS residency. Like they, they were family doctor, internal medicine doctors who worked ERs for decades. And obviously they are professionals in that, but they didn't have to get board certified. They just went and passed the exam. And that's just like, like I said, one generation away. And another example is too. So as many of you probably know, like our father is a retired fire chief, uh, one of the first paramedics in Southeast Michigan area. I mean, he he's always told us. So, I mean, he knew the the name of the ER doctors. I mean, they were they were buddies. Because, and they knew him. And they knew him. Yeah. They get on the he, radio and be like, "Hey, what's up, Jim?" Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that and that was that was how it started because as these two fields they, they grew together. Um, Basically, so the the e, the ER physician or the the EMS medical director who was an ER physician was completely integrated into the EMS system because it was all the same system. Now, what has happened, and and for better or for worse, but what has happened is that at the state level, at the federal level, even at the local level, as we've developed protocols and standing orders, and we've streamlined and kind of uh, documented out how paramedicine. Uh, and basic life support should be run, that has separated then the the field of EMS from the field of, you know, physician emergency medicine. Uh, and again, like like you kind of highlighted, like a lot of our our mission as as a as a couple. Not what? What? <laughs> team teammates. Team. Oh team. Partners. Yeah, team. Team. Partners. Just teammates. Let's do teammates. Brothers works. Gonna be teammates. Okay. Anyway, as a team, Jason and I, like one of one of our one of our passions and mission is is to try to bridge that gap again, right? I mean, like we do it here as an ER physician. He's a medic, you know, RN. Like we come together and we talk about how can we improve. We'd love to see that in the field, and that's kind of like one of the big things we like to push in our education. But again, and this is what this podcast is a little bit about. How do how do we? What are some things that we can start looking at and improving on from an EMS medical direction standpoint? Right. So those things were so integrated, and then they slowly kind of like because of policies and standing orders and that sort of thing have been separated out. Uh, and now we see a disconnect, right? We're definitely not as integrated as we used to be. Uh, and I think to the detriment of our patients, to our systems, both hospital and out of hospital. Um, so again, you know, kind of what can we do about that? And we'll, we'll get into that more as we move forward. So that's kind of a little bit about the history. Um, let's talk about the kind of overall role of the EMS director in general or what it should be. So to prepare for this podcast, what we did is we kind of went back and we looked at the NAEMT, so the National Association of Emergency Medical Technicians. We looked at the National Association of EMS Physicians, NAEMSP, and we looked at the American College of Emergency Physicians, or ASEP, and each one of these organizations that really kind of helps uh, in legislative and you know protocol and standard practices in the EMS world kind of all have their own policy uh, and position statements on what an EMS medical director should do, what they encourage him to do, and that sort of thing. And we can talk about whether or not we're doing that or not in a lot of instances. But again, I think it's a, a great framework of, of what the goal should be. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what the overall you know, role of you know, medical oversight and clinical care is. So from a general standpoint, do you want to kind of just like summarize, like from a general standpoint, what is the medical director like medical there director? for? Sure. So you have, like I was saying earlier, you have paramedics and EMTs that are on the road and they're operating in, in, in treatment. In order for someone 
um, who isn't licensed as a physician to render care in that way, whether it be a nurse, a paramedic, a, a tech, whatever you want to call them, right? It, they have to have, um, they have to be under a license, a physician license, right? So when we talk about medical direction as a whole, it's simply who does the, in a way, who does the onus fall on or, or where does the uh, legitimacy come from? And it needs to come from a physician, right? A nurse cannot give a medication without an order from a physician. Paramedics are the same way. Now, paramedics have a lot more uh, things they can get away with, I, I should say, in the back of the ambulance. Their their scope of practice is often um, larger than even sometimes a nurse is because they're in these kind of extreme situations where they have to deal with extenuating circumstances. But we need to have orders from the physician in order to do those things. Otherwise, we're acting outside of a scope of practice and we violated uh, kind of the agreement of our license and can lose our license and get in lots of trouble, right? Mm-hmm. So that being said, we needed a way in order to establish kind of standard operating procedures for EMTs and medics to be able to operate and just, I need to be able to just give a respiratory med when someone is presenting these symptoms and I, without having to call the doctor every time and be like, Hey, can I give it? Hey, can I give it? Mm, right mm. now in hospitals, it's easy enough because you have the, the, the physician is the one looking at the patient. They put in the order and then the nurse does those things. In EMS, we're the first people to show up and see the patient, right? So the doctor has to trust our assessment and then has to have a, a, a basically an order in place. If you see A, you can do B, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And that's how we establish protocols. Right. So part of medical direction, it's either going to be uh, online or offline medical direction. Mm-hmm. So we'll and this is just talking about, about this yeah. can be any ER doc, Right from any ER can give me a call and say, I want you to do this. I'm putting my name on it. Right. And that's why radio lines are recorded and things like that. Mm -hmm. So it goes on them, right? A medical director is a, is a step above that. The medical director helps establish these protocols in the first place. They establish the system, right? So they're going to design the written standard operating procedures or protocols, uh, that, that I operate on daily. Right. Right. So maybe if you're the medical director, maybe in your County or whatever you're responsible for the area that's your, your jurisdiction, right. Um, maybe you want to give albuterol to anyone who appears that they're having, uh, expiratory wheezing, right. Maybe me over in some other County, I'm an ER doctor. Now I, you know what, I kind of want to give albuterol and atrovent. I want to give CompuVent, right? And that's where you see protocol changes mm-hmm. from state to state, from county to county, um, from country to country, those sort of things. Sure. Now, that being said, like you said, as things get more federalized, um, more on the state level, a lot of times you're going to have state protocols that kind of supersede um, what a medical director can decide individually for his or her area. And I think that's something that I'd kind of like you to talk on a little sure. bit is like that complicates your job a little bit because so, okay, there's, there's federal laws I got to deal with kind of federal protocols I have to deal with. There's kind of state protocols I have to mm-hmm, deal with, mm-hmm. but I also kind of want to put my own spin. Like I know there's a, in Northern Michigan, there's a doctor who spoke in an IC conference that you and I attended that talked about uh, point of care ultrasound for trauma. Sure. And he basically like wrote off, Hey, the, everybody in my County or everyone in my area can go ahead and start using this. And I'm going to be responsible for giving them the training and developing that, right? Yeah. So defining it as a role, I don't know if I really explained yeah, no, no, that, but great. The, I mean, like, the basis of medical direction, that's how that works. The right. basis of a medical director now is 
meeting the challenge of we need written protocols, we need permissions for online protocols, what, what, what my doctors can tell my medics and EMTs to do. And that's a good point, too, because I, I, I will say that like the EMS medical director that is assigned to an EMS system or EMS agency is ultimately responsible for that oversight. And my, my physician colleagues might be upset with me if they're listening to this podcast, but I, I'll stand by this. If if you if some if some I don't say random, but if the EM, if the emergency doctor who you're call, that you call into is not your medical director and gives you something that he wants you to do that's out of your scope of practice, you don't have to do it. Right. Well, you know and what I mean, like there's, there's safety. No, there's safeties in place. Right. So a, as a provider, as an EMT or paramedic. Um, there are things that you can you just cannot do. If Chris calls you and says, "Hey, go ahead and just slit that guy's throat," he's he's done. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> right. you can't. That is op- right. That's operating outside of your scope of practice. That's not but allowed. Now, if, if I, he tells you to deviate from a protocol slightly and give a different amount of a medication or give it, then there's there that's within reason to change things, and that falls reason. on his and, responsibility. But that's like, I guess that's the part I'm speaking on as well. Is that technically, if the medical director has put protocols into place and has signed off on protocols, and someone who's not the medical director tells you to deviate from that protocol, you don't have to deviate, deviate from that protocol. You can, and you're 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 safe in that because you do have a licensed physician putting their name on that. Mm-hmm. But if you, as the paramedical professional, say, "Hey, you know what? No, I think this protocol stands. I don't want to do that." Technically, you can stick with that. You are operating under a different license than that license at that time. It's yeah, a little convoluted. So there's I mean, also there's protocols that are deviation from protocol protocols. Sure, and sure, great. It's kind of a loophole sometimes you guys use is yeah. that, okay, I'm, I'm now following the deviation from medical protocol. It also gives me more freedom as a medic. If there's something that I see that is concerning and I need to change something, I can deviate from medical protocol under a written protocol right. and then give my explanation later. Exactly. Bottom line, as a provider, have a reason for the crap that you're doing. Yeah, okay? well, absolutely. Don't do something without a reason that you can that you can argue mm-hmm. no right? absolutely and, and and again just to summarize it and make it super simple take it back to basics the medical director the ems medical director is basically the one who is in charge of all of the medical and clinical uh decision making and outcomes and things like that for the ems system they're mm-hmm. ultimately responsible for that oversight and doing that now they should never be doing it independently. They probably should be doing it with the team of EMS leadership and all that kind of stuff. Well, and they are. It's yeah, not like, right, right. and this is one thing, don't jump down this rabbit hole of, oh, okay, cool. So if I mess up, it's not really my fault. It's always the medical director's fault. No, like no, that, no. That's not true. Like you can still very much get in trouble right, yeah. for doing the wrong things. Yeah. If the medical director through a protocol has said to do X, Y, and Z, and you do X, Y, and B, well, you deviated from a protocol. That's on you. Right. That's not on them. You know, exactly. so that kind of thing. But I think what has kind of happened, and we'll get into this a little bit more, is that because we've put so many protocols in place and protocols for deviating from protocols, that you, you, we tend as medical directors to, to just be like, oh, it's, it's all taken care of. I don't have to review the protocols. I, I mean, I should be right. I don't have to review the protocols. I don't have to write new protocols. Like, there's already a bunch of protocols, and we almost kind of give up that. Uh, oversight role within the oversight role because it's already been established at a state level. Why, if the state already has a protocol for asthma, why would I not just use that? It's like, mm-hmm. well, as everyone listening to this podcast probably knows, every EMS system, every city, county, state is different, right? And every patient is different. Mm-hmm. So we really like, as medical directors, need to be getting getting involved in that way. We have lots of guidelines from like state level and federal. That that's great. But every system's different. 
And part of knowing that system becomes the responsibility of the EMS director. And I think that's another way we, we kind of fall short is that we, we assume that our overall understanding of EMS, if we have it, is sufficient. Mm -hmm. And it's not, right? I, I would argue that it's not. So there's three, you know, if you kind of look at what the literature and what, the, what these overseeing organizations recommend, there, there's three main things that the medical director uh three ways that they should be providing oversight, ideally, right? The first one is prospective oversight. So prospective oversight is essentially like before anything happens, right? Before any patient is seen, what kind of oversight am I giving? So ideally, the EMS medical director should be involved in education. And that means the primary education of EMTs and paramedics and things like that. They should be involved in the ongoing training and training of their paramedics and EMTs and, and AEMTs and providers. And they need to be developing those protocols, reviewing, developing, augmenting, changing protocols as needed, right? Mm -hmm. So those that's kind of like their, their prospective role. That's what they should do before a patient scene. Most organizations, and I'll, and I'll read some of the statements from these organizations at some point here, but a lot of these organizations say that obviously there's, there's concurrent oversight as well. So there's like now the paramedics with a patient, what kind of oversight is available? There's online medical control. That's your ability as a provider to call up and speak to the medical direction, the medical director, those or, types of things. Or a representative, we should or say. Or a representative, yeah. The medical, when we say medical direction, it's different than the medical director. Right. Every time I call the hospital, I'm if, I'm, if I call Beaumont and I get whatever ER doctor's on duty, that's not the medical director. Okay, no, there's right. a director over the entire EMS system. And that I becomes, may not be talking to him. And that becomes his role, too, is to make sure that online medical direction... And this is something I'll tell you from an emergency, as a physician standpoint, we don't do well at all, is that we as the medical director decide that we're the only one that needs to know the EMS system, and we're not educating our fellow physicians on how to give good online medical direction. Right. And that's another role we should be playing. Right. You know what I mean? So, it, you know, from a physician standpoint, that's something that I try to advocate for is that as a medical director, your job doesn't stop with you just knowing and interacting and, and guiding your EMS system. It's guiding the the rest of your fellow ER physicians who are going to be providing that online medical well, control. They're part of that EMS system. Right, so if right, you stop right, recognizing right. that they are, it's an issue. Exactly. So concurrent oversight would be online medical control, offline medical control. So protocols. offline medical control is basically what you kind of said, like it's those protocols that we put into place. Um, there's a little bit difference between protocols and, and like standing orders. So protocols are basically kind of like, what is the flow chart of how I handle a situation when I see X, Y, or Z? Standing orders are usually what medications or, you know, prescriptive rights, essentially. You know, like what, what kind of medications can I give um, and that sort of thing. So that, they're a little bit different, but very similar. Standing well, you orders can meet, will be in protocols. And you often. can meet standing orders. So like if, you, if there's a shortage of a medication or something like that, you can give a standing order that until this date or until this thing happens, we're going to do this. Like yeah. a lot of the COVID policies and stuff were standing orders. They weren't necessarily sure. a full protocol chain until we could get a COVID policy in place. Right. Sure, sure. So that's just a different. And way. I'll write standing orders like so. If you know, you come. I've got a pay. I did this just the other day. I had a, a pediatric patient, a drowning that we had resuscitated, and and the medics came to transport to the to the pediatric ICU hospital that was you know about an hour away. And I, I wrote some orders for, hey, if the patient starts to wake up, give this amount of propofol. If mm -hmm. you see these, you know, if the heart rate gets above here, give some pain medication. Like those are kind of like standing orders that I'll do, you know, for their. For yeah, the it's not always patient. the case. It's specific to them. Now, if they if they pick up a patient tomorrow, they don't get to Doesn't use those, mean, right? Yeah, yeah they, that kind exactly. of thing. So, yeah. Well, and so it's also worth mentioning, um, like medical direction is in charge of two. Like there are times where 
many times where I might have a priority one patient that I'm coming with and I never talk to an ER doctor, right? I use protocols as my as my kind of uh, standard operating procedures and written standing orders for what's going on with that patient. I communicate with the hospital through a communication protocol where I'm talking to a, often a triage nurse, right? Sure. I talk to sure, a triage sure, nurse. Yeah. Uh, they then communicate to the doctor in whatever order and then you get, you know, a note that says, hey, this is what's coming in, right? So yeah. Yep we didn't ever need this online hands-on direction from you in that situation, right? You were informed. So medical direction has to set those systems up as well. And that kind of goes into, in order to do that well, that goes into the third kind of big role, which is the retrospective oversight. So the medical director really should be doing system-related research. Is online medical control working? Are, do we need to make changes to policies and protocols based on the statistics of what we're seeing in hospital, out of hospital, that sort of thing, as well as they need to be involved in run reviews. They need Q, to be doing QAQI. QAQI, yeah. yeah, they need to be looking at, like, how have the calls been going? Are protocols being followed? Do there need to be changes? I mean, like, you've got to be that integrated and involved to really be doing the job well. On all. So those are, the, those are the kind of the big three, the prospective oversight, the concurrent oversight, and the retrospective oversight. Um, which makes sense, right? You know, there's, there could be an argument whether or not we're doing that well or not doing that well in our different systems. But I want to kind of get into even a little bit more depth of what like the NAEMT, the NAEMSP, and ASEP kind of say about what the medical director should do. And this is kind of eye-opening because, again, I think it's a little bit of like an ideal pie-in-the-sky type of thing that we should be chasing. And maybe we're not chasing it at all. And I, I want to talk about at the end here, how, how can we maybe start chasing this? So Overall, if you look at the, the position statement by the NAEMT um, on medical direction, it basically says the NAEMT believes that medical direction is an essential component of an effective EMS system in order to ensure that patient care is administered with appropriate clinical oversight using medically accepted standards. So all EMS systems, regardless of their delivery model, should operate with medical direction and oversight from an EMS physician. And I'll talk about what an EMS physician is here. It's not an emergency physician. Um, that's the NAEMT, all right? That's what they say. The NAEMSP, so the National Association of EMS Physicians, which, again, we'll talk about, their policy statement basically says that um, basically they're talking about EMS oversight, and they say that physician oversight of EMS is critical to the successful delivery of EMS in any environment. So they say that they, the NAEMSP, agrees with these definitions and statements, meaning that EMS is the practice of medicine and any of the activities that constitute EMS require oversight by a physician, right? Again, there's a theme here, right? And then finally, like I said, the ASAP, basically I won't read it verbatim, but says the exact same thing, saying that like, hey, EMS physicians are a critical component here, that sort of thing. But what exactly does that mean? It's not an ER physician. It's, it's not an ER physician. specializes in EMS. So yeah, so let's talk a little bit about what... Um, qualifications. Right. What qualifications are recommended for an EMS physician, um, which is probably much higher than most of you have in your systems. And that's okay. We can talk a little bit about that. But if you look at the different recommendations, basically what they say is that the physician should ideally should be licensed MD or DO. They should be an ER physician board certified, and they should have fellowship training in EMS. So for those of you who don't know how that works, you go to med school for four years. You go to residency for three to four in your years. specialty for three to sometimes five years, depending on for like ER, what you get. three to ER, four. Yeah, for ER, it's usually three to four. And then you do another if year you still two. don't want to make any money yet, you decide <laughs> to do a fellowship to like specialize, specialize. So you become board certified. That's your specialty. So first you get just normal, your doctor. Yeah. Awesome. Then you get, hey, I'm a I'm, I'm board certified ER doctor. Yeah. Cool. Then you get... 
I also have this special I'm fellowship. fellowship I'm a fellow in EMS. EMS. So that's a very, very new. Um, so the National Association of EMS Physicians, the fellowship in EMS, we talked about how young emergency medicine is in general. So the fellowship training, which is that additional training and certification and examinations that we do, there's a couple of them that have come out, and they've really only all come out in the last, like, maybe 20, 30 years. Mm -hmm. So you can now, in emergency medicine, you can get pediatric trained, so you can become a pediatric uh, emergency physician. That's a, that's a fellowship, that's extra training in just pediatrics. You, there's actually an ultrasound fellowship now. Uh, that's a very new one. Then there's an EMS fellowship, so you can be fellowship trained in EMS, um, and it's like years. It's like a year or two. It's a, a year or two extra right? fellowship training yeah. specifically. In and you're not things. making like doctor money at that point. Oh, no, you're making no, like no, student no. money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though you're doing the job of an ER physician at the same time, they're just paying you low. Correct. Until you're done with your quote unquote schooling, even though it's extra school. <laughs> right, right. It doesn't right, make right, any sense right. at all. So that is ac- that's the ideal. Now, there are not many EMS physicians, meaning fellowship trained physicians in EMS. Um, I'm not myself. EMS fellowship trained. It's something I may go back and do at some point. But you'd have um, to drop your pay. But I would have to pay? quit being a doctor for a year or two to be able to do. To actually, be a for me, doctor for again. me, because I've already been a phys- an attending physician in emergency medicine for six or seven years, I would actually have to pay them to put me through the training. That's so. <laughs> so anyway, um, so that that is not. Uh, it's not not rare. It's it's. It's kind of rare. It's kind of rare, right? Sure. So most EMS directors, medical directors, are not fellowship trained in EMS, but that's the, that's the recommendation, right? Um, if they're not trained in, in that, then there, there is this um, encouragement to be doing medical director programs. So they're, they're basically what a lot of these organizations say is that the state probably should have some kind of like medical director training program that locally, even in your own agency, you probably should have a medical director training program for your medical director. I don't think many people do. I think some do. We'll talk a little bit about that. Um, they also, all these things, there's a lot of other stuff that they recommend. So I'll summarize it quickly for you, and we can quickly talk about it here. But they basically say that EMS uh, medical directors should be involved in the primary education of EMTs and paramedics. So they should be involved in your you know, school programs and things like that. They should be involved in all CME. They should be involved in... Um, the uh, development of protocols and those types of things. They should sit on all the EMS leadership committees. They should have a good understanding of uh, dispatch and that sort of thing. That's not happening anywhere. I I don't know a single medical director that is involved in a dispatch system for every individual agency. You have to figure every fire department has its own. If you're not a county dispatch... Every right. fire department has like a police dispatcher, ma- or they're self-dispatching, and he, right. th- there's no. And it makes sense why it would be great. Yeah, but is it is it is there a reality there? And well, I the onus know. is on you guys to do it. Like we, right? Well, no, exactly. Yeah, and I said this is much more of a like a testament to what we as a, emergency physicians and as physicians should be pushing for. And then, like I said, I think that you guys pushing for it as well is gonna is gonna get us there. But um, the other thing this this will be. This will be a fun discussion we can have, but all of them say that an EMS director should absolutely be doing on-site care with their with their riding along, riding along, ride alongs on a regular basis, and not and they happening. actually recommend that. I you, mean, I shouldn't say it's not happening. It, it might be happening. It does happen. It's not I think it does happen. My agency right it's now, probably not happening. But there's, a, but my medical director also has the option to go to a lot of different agencies to do that. So maybe he's riding with some private ambulance or another fire department. I don't know. Could be. Could maybe. Be. Maybe not. Probably not. Probably not. 
So, but that's okay. But again, that's so, and, and like, I think that sometimes because I mean, if you think about it, if you had like an emergency physician who was engaged and involved in all these things, him riding along probably wouldn't bother you. If you have an EMS director who maybe is, isn't even an emergency physician and who you don't know from a hole in wall and he shows up on a call, you're going to ask him to politely go home. You know what I mean? Like, like I know yeah. that. I, like, I, you know, even me as an involved medical director, like if I showed up too much, I think people would got to be like, uh, why? Hey, why, why don't you, you just be a fireman? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> but again, I think that's a culture change that we could push for because I think I think yeah. integrating those two. But right now they're still very separate and it's there can be some kind of clash there, right? Well, and maybe that's a way to kind of transition into closing a little bit with this stuff is I think that if you want to change as an EMS professional, if you want to see these changes, be a damn good EMS professional, ask questions of your, you know what I mean? There have been a lot of things that have come out and improvements that have happened in my system that have been driven by providers asking the right kind of questions and highlighting needs in the program, right? Hey, especially, so like an example would be with some of this COVID stuff, like it was new, right? Mm -hmm. There was Mm -hmm. constantly good providers you know, emailing, texting, talking to to physicians and getting, hey, dialing this in. Hey, I think this needs to change because this is what we're seeing yeah. on the road, right? It all starts with that communication and that communication isn't going to start until you're confident in your education. Absolutely. Educate yourself, become an expert, communicate constantly. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. what's going to really drive change on the, on the EMS system side, on the medical direction side, because like Chris started with is, hey, these protocols are in place. I, 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 d- I didn't even know there was a need. Right. Right. Yeah, right, and there, right. But exactly. there is a yeah, need. There is right? a need. So, there, so really quick, I'll share and then we'll close up here. But uh, like, so there was a research study that they did on EMS medical direction and they looked at all 50 states and had the state EMS departments basically let them know. Um, 39 of 50 states responded. So we didn't have we didn't have all the states in the study, but only one actually required that their medical directors be board certified in emergency medicine. Only one oh, state. boy. So every other state, you can be family medicine. Like, like now, not to say that they all are, but you yeah. could be, right? Um, eight states have no requirements for personnel who are providing online medical control. So there, there's like, like, there's no training requirements or anything that you can just pick up that phone and be like, yeah, I don't know, do this instead. Like, like that, that needs to change. And that needs something that we need to change as physicians, right? Um, only 25 require only a physician to be licensed in general. You just have to have a, you just have to be a licensed doctor and you can do, you can be an EMS director in 25 of 50 states. And uh, several states don't have any differentiation uh, between an online medical direction and an advanced life support medical director. Like they're, they're like just all kind of yeah, like, yeah. so clearly there's a need. I guess the point here is clearly there's a need. These standards that are out there from the AEMT, the NAEMSP, I mean, they're awesome. They're great. I think there's something we should be pursuing yeah. and we're not there. And that's kind of the point of this podcast today is I think that as an EMS director myself who could improve a ton uh, and knowing a lot of EMS director, directors out there who don't do a lot of this stuff, I think that we, we have to have a lot of room to grow, right? Well, and here's something too, like, it's easy enough for an organization to say, hey, every astronaut should also be an astrophysicist, right? That'd be great. Right, they can't right. do that, right? But so how do we, 
you are more than likely, you the listener, are more than likely operating in a system that doesn't meet these high standards. Right. So what do we do about that? Well, if I have, I'm telling you right now, if I have a family medicine doc who's running my medical control, I'm not throwing my hands up and going, oh, we're screwed. That's not what you're doing. No, right. You need to be involved in educating that family doc on how that the EMS system works, Absolutely. what your needs are, and what the system's needs are, mm-hmm. right? Because- they're going to participate if you participate. Drive right. their participation by getting involved. And right? I think there's two big things that that I'll encourage people. Like, what are the actionable steps we can take in this regard? There's two big things. One is I think EMS leadership, and even if you're not in EMS leadership, EMS in general, should be putting together requirements for their medical directors. Mm-hmm. How many run reviews do they have to do every month? How many, you know, CME credits they want their med- I mean, they can call they can call the shots there. What do you want from your medical director? Make it part of the requirement to be a medical director. We need these things, right? Mm-hmm. So the medical director is held to a standard. Because I think the medical director in a lot of instances is not held to a standard. Ball's in their court. The ball's in their court and, and they don't even know, like you said, they don't even know what the needs are, right? And that's some of their fault and some of the EMS fault. Like it's it's all of our faults, right? So I think that's one thing. I think the other thing we can do. Um, is that we can develop, at least on a local level, we need to develop some type of training programs for our medical directors. We really should. I think EMS leadership together, physicians should get together and be like, okay, in our area, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be a year long program. It can be like a couple of education credits. Like what do we want our medical directors to know about our system? And what do we, I think those two things would go tremendously far in getting us to the, this more integrative system of EMS medical directors and EMS systems working together. I think that's going to really improve everyone. And hopefully, yeah, maybe we eventually do get to this point where all EMS directors are trained in a certain way. We probably won't, but that's okay. I think we can, I think we can increase the standards for ourselves in our systems and our agencies as physicians and we're not asking you to go lobby. What we're asking you to do is be an EMS professional, yeah. be good at your job, and communicate. Yeah. If you can do those two things, it's going to go a long way into doing those other two things, which will change. Right. Will really right. change the culture of EMS. Absolutely. General. Absolutely. So cool. Any fo- any ending thoughts on that? No. Makes sense. All right. Well, thoughts. hopefully this was got, this was helpful for you guys. I mean, it was kind of eye opening for me, even as someone who operates as an EMS director for you know some educational programs and for some you know communities and things like that. I mean, there, there's. I've got some takeaway points, right? I, I know some things I can go and improve, and hopefully you guys do as well. How to engage your medical director more, uh, how to get them more involved, and, and how we can start moving in that way. So again, really quick, CAPSI accreditation. If you want 100% free CAPSI credits for listening to our podcast and other content that we'll be announcing soon, please go to guardiancme.com. We're excited about the launch of our platform in the next couple of months here. Please just give us your name and email address so that we can gauge interest and we can let you know uh, as things come down the pipeline. Uh, and last but not least, if you're going to be at EMS Expo in Atlanta uh, in October, please come by our booth and see us. We'd love to meet you. Take care, guys. Stay sweet. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, we'd love for you to check out the rest of our content at guardiantestprep.com. We specialize in preparing EMT, AEMT, and paramedic students for not only their school, but also the National Registry exam at the end. Enter EMT Test Prep with over 15 hours of videos, workbooks, question banks, and everything you need to pass. We'd love to have you get involved. Again, guardiantestprep.com. Check us out.